I'm Ray Ray. And I'm Dave. And uh, we are here again. So a two for Monday. Did, a two, a two for, for Monday. Monday. Well, for it'll be a three people. for Monday. <laughs> so again, uh, for all you people that download uh, this podcast and you're just, uh, you know, you go on CastBox, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whatever you're using, we do do this live on Facebook a lot um, and we will let you know if you so if you can like us if you don't like us already on Facebook go ahead and like us on Facebook and yes, you'll get please. all these notifications all our live videos are on there and you can actually come in and interact with us on the comments we encourage it so um, guys if you're just downloading the podcast you're missing the other half of what we do but we do thank you immensely for being a part of that podcast downloading community we started the live cast in 2018 at the start of 2018 so we're yeah. now in our second year of doing yes. the live cast. It's been a lot of fun. One of the things I was worried about when we started it was like, okay, when we're not doing it live, it's easy to be like, oh, we need to go back and erase this when we do it in the yeah. in the podcast. The cool thing is we get live interaction. We get to um, communicate with you if you have questions, if you're interested in the content and want to go a little bit deeper and need resources. The great thing about having two of us is one of us can interact with you while the other one is speaking. And again, we are able to have kind of a three-way com- com- uh a three-way conversation is, yes. is pretty good. So always want to encourage you, if you do have ideas for a program, be sure to email us or send us a message on Facebook. We also do have this on YouTube, and uh, mm-hmm. you're more than welcome, if you prefer YouTube, to get on YouTube and watch it. And, and subscribe uh, to us on YouTube. And that's not just for you. If you got people that are utilizing any of these platforms that, you know, it's out there on all those multiple platforms for a purpose and a reason to get this everywhere uh, possible. So, uh, Please um, utilize every medium we've got anyway. We put it out there. It's out there. Again, yeah. we're doing this all like on our dime. And, and for, I mean, this is and Dave and I have really a conversation. Really never asked to be like, hey, give us money for the podcast. Yeah. Never done that. We also, I guess this is the podcast I'd like to do that. But we would like mm-hmm. to thank Jack Coltis and his church. Um, yeah. If you look right here, that uh, help, they helped us uh, monetarily and it uh, did already affect the podcast and then getting a couple of things that we need to get and uh, keep the lights on so thank you so much um, for your contribution Jack and um, you know and we've had him on the show before too yeah he was in like episode number three or four I think the first time that we did the show without the debate, I think he came on, might have been a little bit after that, maybe like the fifth show, Mm -hmm. but man, he was on and he was interested and he's been a follower and a supporter and an encourager, and so we're really grateful for him and his church, Parkview Christian Church. Mm -hmm right outside of Deepwater, Missouri. Yeah. It was great to get to preach there. They were awesome folks. So we just want to encourage you. So last, not last week, but the week before, mm-hmm. we had Dr. Dudash Buzzkirk, who teaches rhetoric at Missouri State University. She was one of my professors in graduate school. And we were wanting to know, because in Southern Baptist life specifically, We've had a lot of questions about critical race theory. Resolution 9 of the Southern Baptist Convention last year seemed to embrace critical race theory as an analytical tool for understanding race and, of course, uh, as a medium to help us present the gospel, Mm -hmm. right? I I don't think that I'm nuancing that ineffectively. And so we've been 
uh, specifically Adam and I have tried to not only educate ourselves, but learn and be able to communicate things as well as we could. Thankfully, when I was in graduate school, we did study critical race theory and we did study critical theory. I knew the two were related. I didn't know how much they were related. So the plan was to invite Dr. Dudash Buzzkirk yeah. on the show to explain critical race theory. Mm-hmm. That wasn't exactly what we saw happen. Uh, yeah. In a way, it was like really hard. As I sat here, Adam was almost in tears as he was biting his tongue yeah. because of some of the things that were said about Christianity yeah. and just about how good it was for Christians to embrace critical race theory and how excited Dr. Dudash was that the Southern Baptist had embraced critical race theory. All that is nice of her to say, but then her reasons for Southern Baptist embracing critical race theory were very odd, and the Mm -hmm. impacts that we would see from embracing critical race theory fully was problematic, and so we want to kind of unpack some of the statements that she said. Adam, while he bit his tongue, I knew that it was going. There was going to come a moment where we would be able to respond to these things, and we yeah. do want to thank Dr. Dudash was so fun, uh, so kind to come on the program. Like we really appreciate that. That's not at all what we're saying, but what we want to do is we want to present our side of why Christians and specifically Southern Baptists should not embrace critical race theory. Mm-hmm. Now, we will have a program probably a little bit later in the spring, early summer, where I'll begin to kind of unpack why I think Resolution 9 was problematic in our application and understanding of inerrancy. Mm-hmm. And don't think that I'm going too deep here. Like, I think that there are some real simple principles by which we can say, Critical race theory on its thir- on its surface runs contrary to what a Christian could believe if they embrace inerrancy. Mm-hmm. And so, with that said, Adam, I don't want to jump into this. I mean, you probably have a few statements you want to share well, as we get into it. Yeah, from from the outset, I mean, this is a postmodern world, and we saw um, exactly uh, just the way really we need to relate um, as apologists. So, I mean, out of all this, I mean, there are so many positives. Uh, we had a person on our podcast. We had a story on our podcast. So it wasn't just facts. Um, She is living in a postmodern world. Yeah. um, And she's embraced it. And you can tell, and the thing is, is this is the way we need to approach. So, you know, really when you're thinking about debate, um, what we do, which is a good thing, um, it doesn't work in every situation and it's okay. We had a discussion and that's what we need to realize is people that are apologetically minded. We need to have dialogues. That's right. We need to hear stories. This is stuff that the modern debate sort of format gets rid of, which for clarity's purposes, and that's what we really wanted on the show was just the facts, no color or anything. But the postmodern world is going to go like, but I need to have my color to explain. And and that's that's even better. That's awesome. And so we had this awesome postmodern sort of discussion, um, you know, looking at something, deconstructing something. And so this stuff isn't all bad. We can preach the gospel into it. And so we don't need to be afraid of postmodern theology. Now we don't need to be held captive by it. You know, Paul would say to hold everything captive to obey Christ, all our thoughts, you know, don't uh, be held captive by vain philosophy and plausible, plausible arguments, right? Oh, it's right. Hypothetical worldviews that, you know, they try to bring you in and capture you. But 
at the same time we can we can listen and we can hear and so we we had a person we had a story that colored this whole discussion and it was wonderful to hear the honesty so from the from the get-go we didn't want to we said we are not going to push back we didn't want any political or polemical or any sort of things we wanted her to tell us how this thing works yeah and i mean you you guys too um we wanted that discussion that doesn't necessarily get had and so we got to see how this worked. You know, we asked a couple questions where it could have totally exploded. <laughs> yeah. Um, but those, those needed to be there for the sake of discussion and for you guys listening as well. And I think so, I, it, you know, it did um, go where we wanted it to go, even though, oops, even though GarageBand's not doing this and I'll just have to take audio from somewhere else. But it's all Oh, good. no, there it is. You got so it. We're good. <laughs> but anyway, um, so it, it went where we needed to go. But, you know, what... From my vantage point, I saw a broken person. Yeah. Remember, I we told her she was a. We believed her to be the, made in the image of God. That's right. Sinner as everybody, broken as anybody, and we saw that, and we saw, um, you know, there's two sides to the to the story. We saw the failure of um, people in her life who did not teach her correctly, um, and even Catholicism, which we would disagree with, but she doesn't know Catholicism. You know, has she ever seen a catechism? Has she ever seen confessional documents to go? Some of the things that she said, that's not what the Catholic Church believes. So, like, so, I mean, it would be yeah. irresponsible for us to not yeah. go back and work through this. Yeah. Nothing that we're doing is trying to be mean or trying to even debate with her. But, like, there were things that were put forward in her discussion, which was mostly a monologue, and I'm not trying mm-hmm. again to be picky, no. but like as she tried to explain things, you saw the fundamental and inherent connection with how a critical theorist and even how one who's accept a postmodernistic view of the world cannot separate objective reality from their lived experience because their lived experience is what is most important reality doesn't matter in the critical theory worldview it's one's lived experience Mm -hmm. so you saw the implications of that now what we did again was we bit our tongue because we wanted to hear it we wanted to see it yeah there was some frustration first of all frustration because she didn't really get to what we wanted her to get to she just kind of breezed over that. But real frustration was biting our tongue to not correct false assumptions yeah. that were put forward as, well, this is my lived world, and it that is what matters, mm-hmm. not so much what is objectively true. And uh, that was what was really difficult. Yeah, yeah. So it's one of those things, you know, you need to hear that if you haven't listened to it yet as you go back and listen to it. Or if you've listened to it and you've kind of been like, man, she's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I can't believe she said that. So guess what? You need to check yourself. And we're not saying check your white privilege at all. <laughs> no, not not at all. But we're saying we need you need to check yourself about the gospel. Um, that's what we're going to call you to. We're not going to call you to um, any sort of conclusions out of outside of this uh, critical race theory and checking that kind of thing. But there is a gospel check that you need to take and listen to her and go, if, if you weren't moved to tears for her and for her salvation, then you're off. Yeah. That's the uh, gospel check that you need to check out, you know, in that conversation. But so it was wonderful to have that conversation with the person, with the story hear it and then we can move forward because she did even though it didn't 
there wasn't a whole lot of clarity. Um, there was enough things said if you could really critically think about what she said. Um, you know, I think the conclusion that we wanted to bring to light came to light, and it is we can't mix. Um, we can't have this lens in our world now for the sake of argument that, you know, that where common grace kicks in is that for the sake of argument, we can look at it. We don't have to be afraid of it. And then we can show them that, well, here's your worldview over here. Here's how you view it with this lens, but it doesn't solve any problems for one. There's no gospel in it for another. Um, but here's our gospel separate. Now, our, now you come off your chair, come over to mine. And then here's what the gospel says. So, in all things, don't be afraid. These things will be useful for getting to that person that needs to know Jesus. So don't be afraid, but don't adopt and try to add this in. And I think we saw that in her conversation where she was seemingly trying to add these together. And it was one Extremely thing over here and one thing yeah. over here. And so I just want to, I have to say some of these things. You know, I've done the very best I could over the last few months since I'm writing that paper does resolute or the paper is called titled not an analytical tool does resolution nine of the southern baptist convention undermine the doctrine of inerrancy right and so i would tell you that christians who talk about critical race theory everyone that i know of that i would consider a um, a conservative christian most southern baptist folks right like walter strickland like dr curtis woods those individuals are all full inerrantists. Like, they're total inerrantists. I'm not joking about those folks. Mm -hmm. But you have to take a step back. Who are the folks that are informing their view of critical theory? James Cohn. Right here in front of me on my Kindle, I have Black Theology and Black Power. And Cohn makes it really clear. The first priority is to change power structures. That is him speaking about black theology, which is an underpinning of critical theory or inherently related to critical theory, critical race theory in specific. Mm -hmm. So what you see when you deal with critical race theory is a worldview that says the first priority is to identify power structures and then to change those power structures. Well, what are power structures? Whatever those who purport critical theory to be privileged positions or domineering positions that are oppressing people however they want to define oppression. Mm -hmm. And this is the problem that you saw in Dr. Dudash Buzzkirk's statement. How do you even define oppression? Mm -hmm. Well, it's whatever I want to define. How do you define what is objectively wrong? Wherever I want to or however I want to do so. And so, um, for time's sake, we probably better jump into some yeah. of her statements. Yeah, so um, uh, there was like a 54 minutes of the first podcast that we put out, which is part one. Yeah. Um, and there's part two, which is another 45 minutes or whatever. And we'll go straight to part two, because that's yeah. where it really, really things start to jump out. So, well, and I think yeah. you and I finally got to the point where like, okay, we really have to shoot to the chase here. Yeah. We're getting a whole lot more than what we originally bargained for yeah which we should have known i should have known that that was going to happen well yeah but i didn't so. <laughs> no, it's, it's just a given with us <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll get it but anyway let's start with uh you know part two again um we were talking about 
covenant theology. And so, like, I understand this is going to be something, even a sticking point between Baptists. Um, we are not dispensational on this show. We are covenantal. That's right. Um, again, this is why we really like the Southern Baptist, or not, not, the, not the Southern Baptist faith and message, but this is why we have to appeal to the 1689 is because it talks about in uh, chapter 7.1, this is the way God relates to man, is by covenant. Because without him condescending and talking to us and revealing himself, we could not transcend ourselves to know who he is. And he's done that by way of covenant, right? And so this is Westminster. Um, this is 1689. Both Presbyterians and Baptists, at least in that camp, um, agree on this covenantal nature. So this is going to be a sticking point in the Baptist life because there is uh, dispensationalism, which does recognize covenant, but it doesn't recognize continuity between covenants That's right. and all those kind of things. So there's going to be a lot of problems here, but you know, so we, uh, we started off the conversation in part two um, about, you know, this is my worldview. Whenever I look at the Bible, I see the first five books, the Pentateuch as covenantal documents that are like written in covenantal things. Like here's God, here's what he's done. Right. Here's my people. Here's who you are. This way. So those same points of covenant that we see written in scripture, Moses actually wrote the five points of what a covenant is and each book falls in line. So it's like whenever you start seeing covenant, you go, holy moly, this is the connecting thing. And so it's that covenant between God and man. So this is my, this is our worldview. And so it is CRT being a framework or a worldview as it was said, it is. Yeah. Um, well, hey, we got a straight answer on yes. that. That was awesome. <laughs> it, it is. Uh, so, Tom Askell, you know, you're not the only one <laughs> that's trying to preach this. But Yeah, well, again, here was someone who didn't know anything about, and I think this is important for our later discussion and our later development. And, again, we'll do a program. I know we're going to do a program on our paper that we're presenting at the International Society of Christian Apologetics. We'll certainly do a whole program on that with you, me, and Travis. And then I'd like to do a program talking, again, and we've already kind of set the groundwork for that, does Resolution 9 of the Southern Baptist, excuse me, Resolu yeah, does Resolution 9 of the Southern Baptist Convention undermine the doctrine of inerrancy? We're going to do a program on that where I'll talk a little bit more mm -hmm. about the paper and what I've found. But the key piece for me is it is a worldview. A person who is completely removed from the situation in the first discussion I ever had with her and told her about Resolution 9. She's like, oh, of course it's a worldview. So for anyone to say that it's not is to demonstrate, according to, again, those who study critical theory and write papers on critical theory in the secular academic community, embrace it totally as a worldview. Yeah, because it is a worldview that it came out of, which is... Marxism, which is Darwinian evolution, um, all those things. Why are they afraid of the free market? Because that's just too random and inhumane. So it's a worldview. It's all that too. <laughs> so anyway, um, so we start off with that. So I asked, you know, like basically, do I have to abandon my covenantal worldview um, and then accept this as a, a framework to then put onto the text of scripture, you know, cause I'm getting my worldview from scripture. And so this is, you know, here's, we're just going to start playing. I'll put it, I got a one hat, one and a half speed. So yeah, this uh, covenant idea, he is God, um, here's what he's done, um, you're my people, I'm choosing you, um, I have a goal for you in mind too, and here's some stipulations, I want you to follow these stipulations, here's covenant blessings if you follow them, here's cursings Stop right uh, there. if you don't follow them. Okay. Just Anyone who affirms the reform position, right, mm -hmm. 
is going to put themselves at odds with those who embrace critical theory and critical race theory. Mm-hmm. God's sovereign choice is a, according to their position, a position of privilege. He's already privileged yes. people to salvation. Mm-hmm. He's already taken people and he's oppressed them because of his sovereign choice. So right from the outset, those who affirm the reform position are going to have to reconcile this fundamental discrepancy. Yeah. Do you see what I'm yeah, saying? I mean, what, what, what is grace? It's a gift. You didn't earn it. You know, and then you go to, uh, you know, he picked Abraham and there was a special privileged people out of the whole world. Yeah. So they had uh, God's privilege. Not so, white privilege, but they had God's privilege. How do you work through that? Yeah. Do you then say, according to critical theory and critical race theory, God was wrong because he He marginalized all those lands in Canaan, yeah. and then Bingo. he destroyed them with his privileged people. How do you work through that? I've never heard anybody tell me, when I embrace critical theory, I'm going to start with this fundamental position that is incredibly important to the Christian position, and I'm going to somehow offer some type of reconciliation between the two. Who is doing that? Nobody. Yeah, and so here's the first, you know, listen to this first point. Sorry about that. Oh, you're fine. Okay, that's just a covenant. So what I would have to do, if I were you, and I wanted to come into terms with how critical theory and those covenants work, or the idea of being covenantal, I would have to say to myself, first of all, is there a way for me to critically think about covenant, covenants, literally, the, the material agreements? Um, if not, then yeah, you're, you're done. And that's it. That's the answer. That's, that's the answer we need. If you can't question those covenants, you're done. Critical race theory and Christianity can't mix. They don't mix. So you cannot, this is something that, you know, um, Either that you can't serve two masters. This is this is the definitional issue. So uh, she goes on to say, and we'll, we'll get there. But she's like, you know, if you can, if they're criti- if they're meant to be criti- criticized um, by autonomous creatures, right? Um, then this is how we would do it. But uh, she says from the outset, if they're unquestionable, you can't do it. So from the covenant, like, you cannot be covenantal and utilize these for your own gain. Now you can do it for the sake of argument. You can step off, you know, the presuppositional idea is like, okay, I'm going to go into your world and show how you show how absurd you are, which is the quicksand quote, quicksand quotient, which is what elephant uh, utilizes. But then you go now come into my world. So for the sake of argument, we can talk about these things and preach the gospel into them, but you cannot take these things over here and, Adam, which is, you can't be, I guess, syncretistic. Yeah, and I don't want to come out so harsh right at the outset when I'm talking about the fundamental issue for Christianity, again, is God glorifying himself through the salvation of his people who couldn't redeem themselves. Mm-hmm. So I realize that there are saved people, good Uh, good scholars who are saved people who say, ah, there's elements of critical race theory that we can redeem. There's elements of all kinds of positions and ideas that were not sprung from a Christian worldview that we can redeem and utilize, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I, I personally believe that, right? But 
we need to be able to recognize and articulate when we say there are elements of critical race theory that we can redeem and are of value. We need to make sure that we're clearly articulating, but we repudiate these issues. We repudiate the fundamental underpinnings of this position. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, I mean, so it's still important for us to uh, know what these things are again and yeah. be, and be fluent. I hope that they didn't oh, just yeah, come out yeah. of nowhere, but like, yeah. that's something that I think we, we too often are, are, are not doing. Yeah. Right? We, can't, we can't just turn our brains off going, this is against the Bible. I'm not going to listen anymore and deal with you. And, yeah. well, and that's why it was so important for Dr. Askell to get up and say what he said at the Southern Baptist Convention. He was saying from the outset, we better articulate why we fundamentally cannot accept this whole position. If we're going to say that there are elements that we can redeem, here's why we have to, from the outset, recognize at the very base, we must repudiate yeah. the foundation Especially of this position. Since, yeah. uh, I hope that makes, makes yeah. sense. And, and, but yeah, it makes sense whenever you... and the first episode where we got the answer you know you whenever you embrace critical race theory you embrace it all she says so you get critical theory again you get you get the marxist ideologies that were there in place before you get to the creation of critical theory which then you get to the creation of critical race theory so by what guideline do you choose what you will buffet style to make it more popular parlance, what will you buffet style redeem from critical race theory? Can you even do that according to those founders and those utilizers of critical race theory? Or is it somewhat of a slippery slope, if that makes sense? What happens if I take a critical approach to these specific covenants? Then I would need you to sit down and write out that covenant, all the stipulations, Mm. all the rules and regulations of that covenant and look at it and say, does this fall into the position of protecting those of different races, of protecting women, of helping children, of the poor, etc.? If so, what do I do with that? If the answer Oh, that's if the answer is I want to help the poor and, you know, those who have been marginalized. Yeah, so what we saw there, you know, um we could okay, so so let's look at the covenants. Let's let's be critical knowing that uh without God Speaking in this way, we would know nothing, right? We have to start off with that starting point. Um, okay, well, so whenever we look at the covenants, when we look at God's law that he revealed within that covenant, you know, we do actually see, right? We see God taking care of his people. We see him taking care of the sojourners in the land. Uh, we see him uh, really taking care of, like, women and children, Um after war breaks out and we have prisoners of war and we have slavery in the sense, not man stealing slavery, but voluntary slavery. And, um, and so we see all those kind of things going on to where we see, um, any, any person doesn't matter what race you are. Right. Yeah. Saved. So from well, wartime, from starvation, from famine, um, you know, this is the big issue. And I think, uh, really, I uh, trying to think who talked about it. I think it was James White just a, maybe a couple of weeks ago talked about slavery. Um, and really we, we have a poor, poor biblical understanding of what old Testament slavery was, but slavery was a means to live because, yeah. you know, especially in a time that they didn't have well, we look back yeah. at biblical slavery in an anachronistic standpoint. Oh, yeah. yeah. And this has been, extremely well communicated by numerous folks. Um, 
this idea of chattel slavery in the American sense was not the method by which slavery was engaged in when the Bible is speaking about it. Like, that's a very important element. Slavery was actually the way that people lived. They would sell themselves into slavery, could buy themselves out of slavery. That basically meant that you had someone that you had a master who was going to put food on their plate, right? Yeah. And actually give you money to make a living off of. Yeah. It's a very different type of slavery. So I wanted to make sure we clarify yeah. that. I think that's really well said, but, but here's... That's, that's, go for that's, it. that's the thing is, you know, so we do see, so we can say whenever we're utilizing critical race theory type lenses, we can see, as she says, if that's true, if it does all these good things, if it doesn't marginalize anybody in that sense, then you're cool, right? But it still marginalizes people, so that's why it's, it's inconsistent. And so you're, that's why you hear her waffling. Yeah, because um, the problem is, I mean, it's always marginalized. To me, it's it's a very clear picture, right? Mm -hmm. When she begins to say, "I would have to look at all of the covenants and see if they didn't do this, didn't do this, and didn't do this before I would embrace them." Yeah. You start with the wrong place. Yeah. Number one, just go back to what Abraham says when he's speaking to God in Genesis 18. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? What is the ultimate standard for righteousness and right? Mm -hmm. God. So the biblical covenants that you enter into or that you agree to, well, wait a second, you're already on the hook from them because he's the creator. You don't get to critique according to an outside worldview. Yeah. That's when you start from the wrong place. Yeah. And what Dr. Dudash Buzzkirk demonstrates here is she's showing us the mindset of all critical race theorists and all critical theorists. They started from an outside view of what is just and what is right. But the problem is they don't even have a justification for why objectively there is anything wrong with oppressing anybody or marginalizing anyone because their worldview is built upon um, a Marxist position, an evolutionary naturalist position. And so their foundation for what even is of value starts within the autonomous human mind. And it's really simple to deconstruct this position. Like, I'm sorry, but it is. And that's why this is and should rightly alarm numerous people when in a Southern Baptist resolution, we embrace this, right? It should be something that is important. And what has happened, again, when the Southern Baptists from the floor uh, make a decision to embrace a resolution that engages and utilizes language that is foreign to the majority of pastors and the majority of people in the pew, it does require serious attention. It does require serious study. And multiple people have now been entered into a worldview and now have to engage a worldview and position that they've never even heard of. Most pastors have never even heard of critical theory or critical race theory. But now we get to enter into the discussion. And that's why this is uh, absurd in many ways. How many pastors are actually prepared for this? Very few. Mm -hmm. That's why it's important that we listen to someone like Dudash because we can see what this worldview leads to. Mm -hmm. and I mean, it's really, I mean, it's led to absurdity um, and all that. But still, but, you know, what just happened there, though, there was a lot of good talk, you know, oh, as long as it does. Well, okay. Yeah, well, it does do that. So I guess it's fine. No, you didn't look at the fine print. <laughs> and know. see, now, yeah. and now again, yeah. I want to make sure, yeah. like, my position is probably different. Yeah. It is different than Askell's. Right. I just think we write a new resolution that actually better articulates what we mean by this. 
Yeah. I don't think that we need to just remove it because I actually do think, and it's going to be a while before we even get to this. We won't get to it today. There are elements of outside positions that are not Christian and not based upon Christian fundamentals that do because of God's, again, general grace, we are able to see elements of truth that are redeemable. I mean, again, I've heard a lot of people really attack Eric Mason's woke church. I like what he says in the outset of the book. Do I agree with everything in woke church? No. But like when he says, I'm going to redeem this word, that is good for Christians to do. So if we're going to redeem critical race theory, it would be really important that we demonstrate how that happens yeah, no, and what we mean by it. Yeah, because like you know, you can take the word woke, and I'm like, well, yeah, I can, I can take that word and go like, you're trying to get woke over here because you know, apparently they're trying to tell you that you're unconsciously doing something, right? Yeah. And so you need to get woke about it. Well, you know, whenever I call you woke, you're going to be, and you're borrowing from my, you know, and we can do this, but I mean, it's a. It's a, I guess, a marketable means to get people's attention, which isn't bad, right? It's just as long as it's biblical. And so whenever I say get woke, I, I'm just going to be like, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you and uh, makes you conscious of those unconscious things. And that, that uh, I mean, that suppression of the truth that is that is conscious that you have numbed yourself to unconsciousness about hope that beach ball pops up of suppression, right? Yeah, right on. You get woke. So, you know, whenever we're looking at those kind of marketing sort of things, don't just go, oh man, they're utilizing that word again and yeah, I'm going to read it. I personally so don't have things. a lot of problems yeah. with the word. And yeah. actually, I think that Mason's book is really good. He does a lot of yeah. great things and he does build And anyone who's, and I think you've read some of the book, right? Like yeah, I know a little bit okay. about it. Yeah, still, I think yeah. that, he, that he engages in a lot of good things, right? Uh, but I think Again, when we begin to use language and terms that are foreign to the evangelical, and let's just talk Southern Baptist culture, mm -hmm. we begin to put ourselves in a slippery slope. Yeah. Words have meaning. Words have background. Terminology has a foundation. Mm -hmm. When you use those terms... You put yourself in a position of confusing people. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is one of the major elements and one of the major problems that has occurred. And again, this is not the same take that you're going to hear on the Founder Sword and Trowel podcast, right? Yeah. Like, and I'm not saying that because I think there's some terrible people. Like, this is, as a, as a language scholar, as a guy who has a degree in communication, who has utilized and studied postmodern methodology, right? My master's thesis, I'm not trying to say these things like, oh, I'm a great qualified person. When you utilize the language of individuals who have a worldview that is foreign to yours, and you say, I'm going to redeem those terms, you put yourself in a very odd place mm -hmm. that does create alarm in other people. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. And so, yeah, you've got to be very careful, really define your terms and make sure that you have, you're clearly putting them out there. <laughs> See, that's the thing. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed completely. Yeah, that's all you have to do. Then I accept this covenant. And if you go through all the covenants and all the covenants pass that test of, do I agree that these are helpful to people who are different than me? Then, 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 then nothing's wrong. People who are different than me. Everybody's different than you. Yeah. 
But then again, who, who decides the terms? And so, you know, do you get to look at the covenant and go, nah, sorry, God, we don't get to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, that, that, those are unilateral things. Yes, we play a part in the covenantal process, but we play the part in, like Israel said, we will do everything you say. Yeah. When they'll find out that they don't do everything he says. And it's going to be does. a terrible judgment day of awakening for mm-hmm. all those folks. And I, and I hate to say this. All those folks, like Dr. Dudash Buzzkirk, and I say this in my hope and my prayer, and I've prayed for him multiple times. I'll continue to do so. They're already in covenant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's one covenant, whether they accept it or not. Either you are a covenant keeper, a covenant breaker, and the only way you can be a covenant keeper now is because Christ kept the covenant, right? And then you bow to Him as Lord. There's a power structure. That's right. And critical race theory is going to tell you to destroy Him for yourself, pretty much. And do I think that I could go through the covenants of God that I know and say these are intended to teach me to um, consider people of color, to consider different genders, to consider different um, sexualities, to consider different age groups, to consider different um, levels of of wealth and different levels of education? To me, all of my covenants with God in in my sense of what I've read from, I'm sorry, we don't read Bibles in the Catholic Church, but um, in, in, in the Catholic Church, what I've been told that those covenants are is they all tell me. To look at those who are marginalized and help them. So that yeah, but the see the thing is okay. There's things called universals, and there's things called particulars. And whenever you get into Van Til, he will like speed you through a dizzying few paragraphs on this. But to sum it up, okay, I'm going to talk about dogness. I can say dogness has no meaning to you because I could like I, I just go over there and there's a dog over there. Tells you nothing, does I mean, it tells you there might be a dog. Doesn't tell you what kind of dog, doesn't tell you what color it is, doesn't tell you anything, right? That's right. Or I can kind of describe to you particulars about a, the nail on the dog, but I haven't really told you that that's a dog. That's on a dog, right? So you can go up the ladder so much in universals and you're talking about nothing. Yeah. You can go down to a particular and you're still talking about nothing. And so whenever we're utilizing the, it marginalizes people. You've said nothing. Yes. You're just saying it's marginalizing people. Okay. Well, for one, you haven't said why it's wrong to marginalize people. You're just like everybody presupposes something. The conversation presupposes that marginalization is bad. So what worldview explains why marginalization is bad? The Christian worldview has said like some marginalization is bad, but then there is some marginalization that is good. Like, getting rid of sin. And this is what I've asked her. So like, we're trying to marginalize sin. Yeah. God and the uh, nation of Israel told him to do that. Purge sin from among you. And God objectively decreed what was sin and what was not. So they didn't have an excuse to say they didn't know. Yeah. And that's the problem is who gets marginalized. There's like, so this, there's this idea. So what now you're seeing in this is that what worldview is coming out and it is this utopian equality, um, worldview that we can reach this, we can reach perfection right now. And so this is all earthly. There's no looking up. Yeah. And so we've been promised an existence past this corrupted flesh life where God will create the earth anew. We will live on it. We will live with him. There will be no sin anymore. So there won't be anything to marginalize out of society. This is what they want. This is what 
the, like this idea once, but it wants this idea only because man did it and not because God provides it. So now that you should see that, but see in this life now, there will be marginalization and we can't get away from it. Now, what gets marginalized? If what God wants doesn't get marginalized, then what God wants will get marginalized. So the very fact... Because by the people. But see, here's the problem again. At the point that I say, you know, Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said none of the law will pass away. So in doing so, he's saying that, wait, Moses got it right when he wrote, God spoke against homosexuality yeah, he said, well, well, in he Leviticus. Said that and he said, if you, so he also talked about the law as well. If uh, anybody teaches my, any of these little ones to do those things, what, you know? So <laughs> now we've created a marginalization yeah, yeah. category. But the uh-huh. problem is, can those who embrace critical theory actually tell me that I am wrong for marginalizing anyone if my worldview states that is evil? And you can't do that because you have no objective standard except, again, it circles back to critical race theory being the authority. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is an interesting thing because in the resolve section, and this is the, and I love how they do it at the convention. They're much, much more proper than I am. I'm sure you're familiar with this language. You're like, okay, uh, the, the, this resolve is the second resolve, right? And you can totally look at my computer. Oh, okay. The second resolve. Say, this is like the really- critical race theory and intersectionality should only be employed as analytical tools subordinate to scripture, not as transcendent, transcendent ideological frameworks. Yes, and that's exactly what I just did, though. Okay. Okay, the, 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 the Bible come... If the, well, let me rephrase. If interpretations of the Bible, as my religion has taught me, if the Catholics are correct... Notice, gotcha, notice that interpretations of the Bible, that, again, presupposes that we all have lived experiential interpretations of what Scripture says. So there is no objective starting point yeah, so for understanding yeah, Scripture. This is idealism. That's all it is. You've got this. Uh, so this is like Neoplatonism. This is, there's a world of forms. It's a neutral world. And we're just trying, again, we're trying to transcend our brains to come up about, as, you know, this is the difference between classical apologetics and presuppositional apologetics. We start with God and he defines terms. That's right. Not just any God, but the triune God that has revealed himself by way of covenant in the covenant documents. That's right. right. But now, no, 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 no. Classical apologetics can live in this world and have fun with it because they believe in a neutrality of a realm of ideals. Just because uh, you can go from premise to conclusion and make a valid argument doesn't make it true. It doesn't make it sound or anything. You can come up with hypotheticals all day. And that's all this critical race theory stuff is, is just a big hypothetical world that we're going to then put on our, put on what's out there. Because why? Because the enlightenment said, you can't know this. You can only know this. That's right. And so postmodernism is borrowing from modernism where it wants. So, so you see, like it's, it's, it's all a mess because modernism, because it lost its objective, look at it now. We are, we've been handed over and over again now, and we're getting worse, <laughs> you know, even in the, our thought patterns. So it's, it's really crazy that now we're stuck in this, in this world, we got this neutral realm of ideas and this is what it's coming from. And it's just a hypothetical world, but they're going to be explaining to you like it is an absolute truth and an absolute. This is a reality. key piece of why there are some fundamental issues with resolution nine. Mm-hmm. Why someone 
who is outside of the Southern Baptist Convention, who has embraced a postmodernistic position, right? Not only in the way they write articles, but in the way they live, right? And this is Dr. Dudash Buzzkirk. And I, again, we're grateful that she was on the program. I don't know if she's listening to this program. I probably doubt that she is. But her position, and I don't mean it in condescension. Someone might get mad at me for making all these qualified terms, but I'm doing so because I want to be careful and I want to be respectful because I do think that that's important. Someone like Dr. Dudash Buzzkirk, when she hears the second resolve, she says, here is what the second resolve means. Subordinate to scripture. Well, there's multiple meanings and understandings of what scripture can mean. So, of course, I can always say that how I'm interpreting critical race theory is not in subordination to scripture. It comports with scripture. Because for her, to comport with scripture is to say, yeah, the Bible doesn't say anything against homosexuality. See what I'm saying? And that is a key piece. Your interpretation of what it means to be subordinate to scripture, because for her, scripture has multiple lived meanings. So at the point that you say, we embrace critical race theory and say that it can be employed as an as a as a tool that doesn't subordinate to scripture is to live in in conflict if you've already embraced critical race theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My covenants with God are that um, I am to uh, love others as I would be loved, that I am to function as a representation to follow in the feet, the feet of Jesus Christ, that I am to be compassionate, that I am to you know, do, do just, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Actually, actually, I've read the covenants, and I would consider Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you know, covenantal law. Yeah. Um, doesn't say any of those things. Yeah. Just things. But if I have been taught correctly about that, yeah. But what I just did was I said my religious agreements with God, my, my agreements with God. If I decided to look at them critically. Mm-hmm. But they're correct. So if so, this is one thing where I kind of look at it. Yeah, but they're correct for you. Your lived experience. Yeah. So from my lived experience, if I go through all this and it meets the same qualifications, but in a different way, I'm correct. You're correct. We're all correct. That's right. But then we're still going to fight each other because this is my truth. That's your truth. And I don't like your truth. Agreed. Yeah. But then... You create another power grab. Somebody's got to be right. If we're going to say this is truth, somebody's, some, some, you know, we've got to, we, are we going to stop operating off truth? So the question always has, for me, is critical race theory and intersectionality just an analytical tool? Can it be embraced? in part, as an analytical tool. Once you do that, it sure seems to me like you have now said, I can make Scripture comport with whatever I want, mm-hmm. and then argue that it's not being subordinate to Scripture. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong on that. Am I being silly? But that's exactly how I feel, and that's exactly how I understand it. Well, the thing is, is, hey... You feel it, right? 
<laughs> that's that's the problem, which undercuts every bit of this because it's a it's supposed to be a rational attempt to get to a conclusion, but it jumps ship from logic to feelings, which is if you look in a logical or logic you know textbook, there's a thing called a pathetic fallacy, which is called the faulty appeal to emotion. This is why when you know people get mad at say Ben Shapiro whenever he tells somebody feelings don't make facts. That's right. But that's just being logical. So whenever you're talking to people and you're hearing that, well, I feel this way. This is the way I feel. You say, when it comes to the whole transgender thing, I feel female, though I do have what I have objectively. I feel this way. And then so they jump ship there. So if I feel this way, therefore I am this. Well, that's not a logical thing. That's an irrational thing. And so are we going to try to be rational, consistent people or are we going to jump ship somewhere for our feelings? Mm. And then that basically is the whole realm of atheistic, um, agnostic, whatever thought is because, you know, like they, they have to find some inconsistent point to start out with. This is why uh, in the Enlightenment you have the rationalist and then you have con- the irrationalist. You can't solve these problems and nobody's ever solved these philosophical issues. This is why we need God. This is why we need to subordinate our minds again to Christ and him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Um, not to be, again, these, these things sound plausible, don't they? They could be in a hypothetical, neutral territory of ideals, right? If, it, if that exists in reality. But does it exist in reality and prove it so? Our, from our perspective as Christians, we do not believe that there is any neutral spot anywhere in creation because it's all God's. He owns it. He has interpreted it. So how does this all relate with critical race theory? It's a man's attempt to try, but they're going to fail. It's going to end up in basically it just ends up just ripping people up into how they've been victimized, whatever their color is, whatever their gender is, which that doesn't even make sense now. <laughs> um, so we're just going to rip apart people. It becomes identity politics. It's already ripping up our churches that way. Um, and you're just going to see nothing but devastation. And so as Christians, we don't need to academically like, and, unite, but we need to unite. And this is one key piece that I do think is important as we engage this topic. Right? We didn't invite this discussion in. It was brought in. Mm-hmm. Not by evil people either. And I want to make sure that I say that. I really do have respect and admiration for people like Dr. Woods, for people like Trevin Wax, Trevin Wax, who was on the committee, right? I do have incredible respect for Walter Strickland. I would encourage anyone to read Removing the Stains of Racism from the Southern Baptist Convention. It's a good, stinking book. Do I agree with everything in it? No, there's some things that Dwight McKissick says that I'm not a big fan of. But, like, I think it's an incredibly good book. As Southern Baptist, and this is the, this is the discussion that I don't think is being had. Southern Baptists were, were originated in 1845 because there was a group of slave owners who wanted to send missionaries overseas. The Baptists in the North said, no, if you own slaves, not only are you not going to send a slave-owning missionary, you're not even going, we don't even want your funds to come, right? 
And so what happened was the Southern Baptist Convention got started because slave owners, evil people who we will say were objectively evil, embraced the idea that they could have slaves, they could own people, and that they could then... Which one of these is one of these microphones? Is it mine? That's messed up. Okay, so I'm speaking into this one now. So these slave owners said, "We can own people, and we can send people to, into the mission field." God bless them for wanting to have a heart of missions, but they were objectively wrong about the idea of owning people. How do we know that? Scripture's darn clear on that. In the chattel form of slavery, it is wrong. It is not wrong for people's to own people in the way that was occurring. Look, slavery was a means in the Old Testament of saving people's lives. The Bible never says that slavery is objectively good. In fact, we know from Scripture that it is a result of sin. Southern Baptists have a unique position. Our denomination was started by slave owners. We will always have that problem. But guess what? We can redeem our denomination from our past by demonstrating that we were wrong and being reconciled rightly. Like, I don't have a problem with racial reconciliation when it comes to recognizing our denomination was wrong. Will we always work to remove that stain? I believe we always have a recognition of, you know what, as a, a redeemed individual, I am being redeemed from my past. It's never wrong for me to put that forward. I was an evil person. God is saving me. Wait, he has saved me, but he's conforming me to the image of Christ. Oh, yeah. So as a denomination, we do have an obligation to say Christ redeemed us from our past. Mm. So no other denomination has that history, right? Mm. This is why it's important for Southern Baptists to have this discussion. So what do we do from that? Do we then say, ah, all of critical race theory is good, or the parts of critical race theory that we want are good, and we're going to redeem those positions. I think you put yourself in a really bad and awkward position. It's good for you to say, racism is wrong. It is wrong for people to favor other races. Why? God doesn't have favorites, right? But to say, now we're going to use a worldview and we're going to redeem parts of a foreign worldview, a, a worldview that is foreign to Scripture, that actually repudiates Scripture, to now allow us as a denomination to work forward in our reconciliation, or to work forward in the way we're talking about how we've been redeemed in our past. You don't need outside sources to do that. All you need is Scripture, and that's the argument that I would put forward. Are there good things in it? Yeah. Everyone who says critical, there's parts of critical race theory that are good, are they all a bunch of Marxists? No. Racism is real. Southern Baptists will, because we're fallen, any white, black, Hispanic, Southern Baptist will always have to work through racial tendencies. Why? Generally because the race that you're probably the most intimate with is the race that you are. And therefore when you look at other races and other cultures, there is a, a selfish component of you that says, I like what I know. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, and it's one of those things whenever we're looking at this uh, sort of, this language. Okay, whenever we're talking about race, we're talking about ethnicities. Okay, that's uh, ethnos. Right? Ethnicities. Yeah. So we have a biblical Greek word that we can get a definition from. So we're not talking about people, you know, yeah, people were treated as, well, you're completely different. Um, and which worldview says this? Un like, not as evolved as me. 
race. Mm, yeah, right. Is that the Christian worldview that's saying that? No, that was whenever they borrowed humanistic ideas. You know, where you have man-centeredness, where you have these ideas of some people are smarter than people, and then you have, um, you know, Darwin come in, and then you can look, maybe white people can look at black people and go, well, they're they're savages. They must not be as evolved. So which worldview is actually going to send you um, that direction toward um, this idea of white privilege? It's not the Christian worldview. That's right. It's going to be the socialist, the social Darwinistic worldview that's based on Darwinist evolution, which even though that even though there's camps on that that are different. Um, so, you know, people are there. You know, the Christian worldview recognizes all humans being the same as far as makeup. Yes. Made in the image of yes. God. It doesn't matter if you're from Africa. It doesn't matter if you're from West Virginia. It doesn't matter if you're from Pakistan. Um, we all are the same type. We all have the same um, root problem, which is sin. And yes, it works out in certain ways. Um, but, you know, we got to really recognize the logical conclusion doesn't come from the Christian worldview that you're afraid of. Yeah. It comes from the Christian worldview. And so, yeah, we do we need to go to scripture to find out how we get rid of these things. But we also got to recognize that when you're adopting these things, you're trying to make the outside man happy. There you go. Fear of man. And right guess on. what? You are never going to get repentance from somebody that doesn't ever repent themselves. That's right. So we don't need to be looking at what the world thinks of us, you know, because they're not going to like, this is another thing with the critical race theory. You're not going to get forgiveness. There is no gospel. There is no way for them to look at you differently as a new man. Here's the issue. Until they get what they want, which is earthly things. When they get repaid, when they get their seat of power Amen. over you, they are asking you like Satan did to Jesus. Bow down to me and I will give you the world. That's right. That's what this is. And it's not right. We can talk on this. We are. What do we We're four minutes in? Yeah, four that. minutes in. But, you know, like, but I think we hit a lot of things that were in the whole discussion. Yeah. If you guys listen to both these. I'm sure we hit a lot of points that we didn't even hear spoken on the podcast. Yeah. Um, anyway, because we we were there. So, yeah, no, <laughs> so. I think this is an important yeah. topic. And my hope is. There are a lot of people who have polarized elements of this, right? Mm -hmm. As in the Southern Baptist Convention, right? First of all, I always want to make it really clear. Both Adam and I repudiate racism. Yeah. We repudiate the idea that humans should own other humans. Why? Scripture. We believe in racial reconciliation. In fact, I would say again, because we're Southern Baptist, we do have a unique historical position, right? Yeah. But is that position for the world to see or is it yeah. for our hearts? Yeah. And that's where the problem is. When we grab and utilize the language of critical race theory, I believe we're saying something to the world when we should be saying something to ourselves. And the world can hear about who we are. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, with that said, I mean, yeah, we went really long. We can. Oh, we're, we're sorry, hit, oh no, no, no. We uh, we are going to hit this idea um, throughout the year. This is a big deal. 
um, you're writing a paper on it. Yeah. So we'll we'll go into more detail. On pray it for later. me. Especially, <laughs> pray for oh, yeah, me as pray, I write it. <laughs> yeah, and, and pray for the podcast that we can be a means in uh, just discussing this stuff, um, bringing more people on to talk about it. And uh, we are going to have to have our phones mm-hmm. with us when we go to ICS and yeah. get some sit downs with some of these folks. Yeah. Like if we can get a, an interview with Askel, be amazing. Face to face, we bring all our stuff. Yeah. So just one of those things, you know, if you've never encountered this before, if the last podcast, the last couple podcasts um, was the first time that you've interacted with it, it's much bigger than our podcast. It's actually real. It's out there. Um, I, I've been telling people in the barbershop because they ask what the podcasts were about and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so have you saw this in the news? Have you saw the conversations and the discussions go this way? Are you seeing people react these certain ways? And I go, okay, this is because of this is what's being taught in our schools. This is what, uh, you know, presidents, senators, house representatives, all these political people are going to schools and getting taught about this stuff and they're utilizing it. So you wonder why we have identity politics and why we have our church splits over Democrats and Republicans. It's due to this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. This is only going to rip people apart and it's not going to actually, it's going to change the power to individuals because you can't connect anybody as we've already you know, that's it's, key, man. Again, we're that's going key. to split everybody up, and then we're going to have like the weirdest civil war ever, where we had two defined lines back in the day, but then it's going to be an all-out individualistic brawl after this is all over, if God does not stop it Himself. There's so many things that I could continue on, but yeah. we've gone for an hour. Yeah, we've gone for an hour, and again, we've this got, is our second we've got, show of the day. We've so. got a lot more time, Lord willing, because <laughs> I want to talk about it too. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I uh, hope I didn't just like no. monopolize this. Oh no, no, no! I just, uh, I just one of the things. I just one of the things I'm thinking about these guys out there, and they only have an hour, yeah. <laughs> you know, throughout the week to listen. And we thank you for your time. We That's thank right. you for being a part of it, and please be part of the conversation. If there's something that you heard on here um, that you uh, want to explain more clearly, or if there's something we missed, or if there's something that we're completely wrong about, let us know, you know, because this is an interactive experience. This is what we're trying to get done is create a community of people actually thinking and their brains buzzing to the glory of God for the glory of God so that we can preach the gospel and people can flee from the wrath of God that's coming. So, and, and, and include them in our family and our brothers and sisters too. So, um, with all that being said, you know, let's, let's dig in. And, uh, this is an election year and this is going to come to a head because of it this year. And people are going to forget about it and it's going to come back because it never went away and we didn't deal with it. Dude, my heart so. just hurts when you say that it's an election year. Yeah. I'm not even joking. Uh, yep. uh, that's over again, I'm discussion. sure, but whatever. <laughs> but anyway, thank you guys so much for bearing with us as always. We hope that it's been uh, it's a meaningful discussion. It's edifying to you. You guys are edifying to us just seeing you guys uh, log on and say things every once in a while and those, and those numbers that we see. We appreciate you guys. And so with that said, I'm Ray Ray. And I'm Dave. And this is the Tag Gear Podcast. So the Dave. The Gloria.